Hi, I'm Bo Galgron, and you're listening to the Atomic Podcast. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. And here is your host of the show, Efren Guzman. Ladies and gentlemen, actor extraordinaire, Paul Calderon. Paul, how are you this morning? I'm well, Efren. How are you? Um, uh, a little bit of rain. The kids are back to school, so... Had to get up early, put my daughter on the bus, and it's it's, oh, it's like back to normal again. When the kids are back in school, it's back to normal. <laughs> yeah, well, I've been there, done it, yeah. You know, so for the long summer break, is over, man, you know. But um, how's everything in New York City? I'm, I'm originally from New York City myself in um, Spanish Harlem. Um, how How's everything in New York? Everything's fine. You know, the weather is great. You know, I live here in Brooklyn, so we just had the uh, West Indian Bay Parade. And it rained, but it didn't keep the, um, you know, the people from coming out. Yeah, rain or shine, every type of parade, from the Puerto Rican Day Parade to the you know, um, um, the Dominican Parade, everybody comes out no matter what. <laughs> everybody comes out. Where are you from, Spanish Harlem? Um, I'm from 110 and 5th Avenue. Uh, because I grew up kind of like uh, 115th between 1st and 2nd. Oh, wow, Pleasant, right? Um, Pleasant Avenue by uh, the... Yeah. the... yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, you know, um, I grew up there, you know, most of my life over there. Well, all my life, I should say, over there. I recently moved to Wisconsin for like three years now. But um, over there, I just, I, I just miss the diversity, the food, you know. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, <laughs> big difference, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So um, so you said you, you grew up in 115 and 1st Avenue? That was... Well, uh, you know, I basically grew up between... Um... Ah, okay, okay. And how was it at that time? Uh, it was, you know, there was still a lot of Irish, still a lot of Italians there, but they were within like three, four years, they were all out. Oh, okay, because they still do the Italian Fest, right, on 116 and Pleasant around there? They still do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly, it's all, you know, all the mob guys just hang out there. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God! Wow. You see, he's taking me back now. <laughs> and I'm talking about myself. I'm supposed to be talking about you. Wow. Um. So at, at that time, it was a lot, a lot more Italians, and the, the area. I think it was kind of more. I think more rougher back in the days than it is now, right? Don't you think? Much rougher back in the day. I yeah. mean, both areas, where we start, especially. Yeah. But you know, we thought we were moving up. Because we're moving up to the projects up at 115 Street. Mm-hmm. You know, because we're living in a tenement in the Lower East Side, and we thought we were moving up. We <laughs> <laughs> realized, man, this is probably, it wasn't as dangerous as the Lower East Side, but it was still pretty dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you ever been harassed by cops when you was a kid? Like, I, I, I can remember the time, I can count it in my hand, I've been harassed by a cops. I would say it was only, like, once or twice, probably once. Like, have you ever been harassed, like, when you was younger or no? You know, to tell you the truth, no, I can't remember being harassed by cops. We just, uh, just kind of stayed away from them. But back in the day, they used to, you know, they used to swing those batons. Yeah. You know, across the knee with them. 
Yep, that's what I'm saying. And and, 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 and it's the single batons, the brown long ones, not the ones with like the handle. It was the old school yeah, ones, you know. Ones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the for Japanese um, uh, ones. No, they were using the long ones. Yeah. Oh man. These twirl them really good. These things are <laughs> uh, engrossed by the way these twirl those batons, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so much different back then. So, um, and then growing up in there, um, you you took you took drama in New York, or yeah, I took drama in New York uh, after I left the army. Uh, came back and took drama. Oh, what made what made you decide that? Because you know, especially to me, it's fascinating talking to a lot of Latinos and stuff, and they're attracted to that. A lot, a lot of them, like I don't know, a lot of them like to play baseball. They like to do a lot of like manual labor work. Like, what made what what attracted you to drama? Well, because uh, I blew out my arm. Uh, I was a ball player, and I had dreams of you know making it. Like most Latinos, you know, that grew up in. Uh, in those kind of environments, yeah. and I blew my arm, and I fell into a kind of uh, mental funk for a couple of years. I tried school, and got thrown out twice, believe, believe it or not. What? You know? and wow. And yeah, because I was just, you know, I wasn't studying. I found, you know, I just you know, I couldn't play sports because my arm was, was, was out, and so basically, I just said, you know what? I just gotta, I gotta do something with my life. And I joined the army, and then I joined the army, and I realized, oh shit! And it was a great experience being in the army, but I just realized, you know, I I'm, can't make a career out of this, you know. So I'd always been fascinated by acting. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in college, I did uh, an improv workshop after school. And the male teacher who was teaching the workshop took me aside and said, you know, you, you should pursue this. You have talent. Mm. And that always stuck with me. So when I was thinking of what am I going to do after mm. serving my stint in the Army, I mm. said, let me give this a try. Mm-hmm. And then it, it pretty much worked out from there? Like once you... Done... No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <I wish. laughs> yeah. um, you know, I took um, I took classes um, under the GI Bill. Yeah. And I studied for about two years, like five, six days a week. Um, that's where I met my future wife. And But I just, you know, back in the day, you know, we just didn't have what everyone has now. I, I think actors nowadays taking granted with the internet and social media and mm-hmm. iPhones back then, you know, we would have, uh, we would have to get our pictures taken, uh, resumes copied out, we had to take it to a co- uh, copy shop, we had to slice the, um, the resumes, the correct size with that big slicer that we used to have. Oh my God, yes. Put them <laughs> together, put them in envelopes, take them around to the different agents, um, our answering service was basically an answering service where you had to call up to see if you had any messages wow. for that particular day. So it was, I mean, I, you know, I wasn't a sad guy, you know, business-wise. Uh, I just was not. And it was, uh, it was a struggle at the beginning. You know, uh, probably took me like six, no, it took me seven, seven years before I got my first uh, paying gigs. So when actors nowadays say, you know, I've been struggling for the past year after I graduated school, and, you know, I kind of laugh to myself, you know, because to me, struggle 
majors that make it after seven, eight, nine years in the minors, and they come up to the majors, basically, that's what was happening with me. I was spending a lot of time in the minors, you know, uh, just doing a lot of uh, regional theater, off, off, off Broadway, um, continuing to study and sharpening my skills, but I just didn't have that extra little thing where I could just knock on doors and set up interviews and that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. But um, taking the classes and being involved, like like you knew this was it for you. Like when you were taking the classes and getting immersed in it, you know this is what you wanted to do in your life, be an actor. No, no, truth, no. I just felt that okay. What else am I going to do? Am I going to go back in the service? And I thought about going back in the service. Mm -hmm. I said, what am I going to do? It's either this or go back in the service. And like I said, I had met my future wife and. We had a really strong relationship, and that's sort of what kept me mm. from going back in the service. Mm. So I just stuck with it, you know, for lack of something else to do. Mm-hmm. I understand. And, you know, I, I was on the verge of just going back to school um, after seven years, and I matriculated again. Um, I was going to go to that city college town on... Um, near Battery Park, and mm-hmm. something just told me, you know, just give it one more try. You can't quit until mm-hmm. you give it one more try. You don't want to look back on your life and question, you know, what you've, what you've done if you do decide to quit. If you do quit, give it one more try. So I remember walking out of that, Yeah. Just walked out. Just walked out. Um, it's kind of like a voice in my head saying, you know, you got to give one more try. And I kid you not, within the span of three months, I landed my first film. I landed my first off Broadway showcase. I became equity. I auditioned for the actor studio, which was not a, a, an easy thing to do to get in back in the day and I auditioned I got in on my first attempt and and after that basically that's when we started seeing my face you know like on TV and on films that sort of thing but it was uh, it was a long haul but within the span of three months after I said you know I am going to have to give this my all before I quit if I do quit that's when it started happening wow you know it's crazy because a lot of people would like say like you know what i gotta get a job in in ups or something or i gotta do this and i gotta do that and it was it was like instilled in you like this is something you, you gotta have to try because if if you know if you don't if you don't know if you're gonna try it again you know you're always gonna have that what if upon you right yeah i know you know i wasn't young you know i you yeah. know seven years of even when ballplayer gets called up from the minors after seven years, you know, when he comes up to the majors, he's no longer he's, he's no longer considered young. Yeah. So I wasn't young because nowadays, you know, you have actors making it at 20, 21, 22, 23, and uh, I was already in my 30s, man, because I started late. I started acting when I was kind of like, you know, like taking classes in my mid-20s, so... Um, I was it wasn't easy, but, but you know what? I'm glad it wasn't. Because, you know, it taught me a lot of things about myself, about uh, about struggle and and persevering and everything else. Yeah. 
Uh, that's amazing, man. And um, you had no qualms about you know the the type of roles you played. Like you was willing to play anything, right? Is is, is there a particular role you wouldn't want to well, play? I had yeah. no choice. I mean, yeah. it's okay. Take what they offer to get the experience, mm-hmm. and work my way up. You know, and at the beginning, you know, um, I'd be playing petty criminals, pushers, and and everything else with Lawrence Fishburne, John Carlos Macedo, and some others that I came up with, and we were just, hey, this is what we gotta do, you know, to pay our dues, and we did. Yeah, that's amazing, you know, you have a long, illustrious career from playing policemen to playing, you know, different types of roles. Um, um, is there, is, is there like a, a, you know, this is this is a loaded question, but is there a, a favorite role that you ever had when you played different roles? Is there a favorite one that you have? Oh, boy. Uh, think about that. Uh, in theater, it was one thing, but in film, I have to say, you know, when I worked with Sidney Lamette on this film called Q&A, that had always been a dream of mine to work with Sidney Lamette because, you know, I grew up watching his films like Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, Prince of the City, Also, um, I also read. Is this true that you was almost cast in the roles of, of Jules in um, Pulp Fiction? That was, that's also... <laughs> is that true? Uh, yeah. That will never go away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Can you can you, can you elaborate on that? Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, you know, it's um, uh, Quentin had seen. Uh, Sam uh, second 
doing it and I did my best and uh, it was, you know, it, it, what I tell people, it was meant to play that role and, you know, Sam got it, you know, Samuel L. Jackson got it, he did an amazing, incredible job with it, you know, he took it, he he rode with it, he's still an amazing uh, actor and, you know, that's all I can say about it, you know, you, gotta, you, know, you come back home to New York and you say, okay, what am I going to do? Yeah. And, and I basically just went back to theater, I did a lot of theater writing, uh, you know, my first, my first kid was born within a year of that not happening. Me not getting the role, and you know, just say, "What are you gonna do?" You, you know, you continue, you continue on. You know, it's yeah. like having, a, like losing a World Series. Yeah. And saying, "Okay, hey, listen, I'm not gonna let this prevent me from coming back next season and continue playing." So that was it. Yeah. But um, in the audition, did you give that whole speech, or was it just a different dialogue you um you gave as Jules from Pulp Fiction? No, was it? it was the whole thing. It was all the whole thing was memorized. Yeah, wow. Was memorized. I had enough time with the material to come in and, um, you know, so, I, you know, and it, it, it was it was kind of crazy because, you know, the guy that was driving me to the set was more nervous than I was. There was a friend of mine whom I was staying with, you know, mm-hmm. out in L.A. And he drove me to the set and uh, so he crashed through the barrier. Where, yeah. you know, the, uh, the guard barriers, the yeah. ones that go down and up. So he was more nervous than I was. He crashed <laughs> through, and then we had the security guard chasing us and <laughs> uh, stopping us. And he had to stop, and then I had to walk off, you know, the rest of the way to the uh, to where the audition was being held at, you know, one of the sound stages, one of the offices there. And then I'm ready to go. And, you know, Quentin wasn't there. Quentin was running late. Cause it was LA, LA traffic, and yeah. then I came out. I kind of like I went to the bathroom to just settle my nerves. Then I came out, and they said, "Oh, he's still not here." I said, "Oh shit!" <laughs> <laughs> and then he came first through the door. You know, very apologetic. Yeah, always oh, a great guy, very giving guy, um, very earnest with his energy, very giving with his energy. And he came in, me with this shit. I did yeah. everything, and yeah, that was it. Oh, that, that's an amazing story. Because imagine what could have been if he was Jules. That just that just blows my mind. You would have gave like a different take on it, I think. Yeah, you know, Quinn said, you know, it was just a choice between two different interpretations. Yeah. And um, you know, my interpretation was was different, but um, so you know, he had already, I don't like promised it to Sam anyway. Oh. <laughs> You know, like the year before, yeah. Sam came in, but I guess he didn't like what Sam had done initially, so he had to ask Sam to come back in. So, uh, you know, it's like that. I know because you know I've I've directed theater. Mm-hmm. It's always okay. Who am I gonna go with? This guy or that guy? This woman or that woman? And then I just match match the actor up or the actress up against all the other actors. You know, and it's an easy thing to do to cast and yeah. to cast well then you know he did yeah you know you know I'm, you know, I'm glad and I'm you know 
that, that's that's amazing, man. And you know, you worked with a lot of people from like you know Philip Seymour Hoffman. You know, you've done a lot of shows, Sam Rockwell. Um, is there any good advice you've gotten from a fellow actor? Oh, advice as far as what? Uh, about about like the the career of acting or the career you're you know you you're involved in now like acting and whatnot. Ah oh, man, I'm I'm thinking. I can't say I can go back to a particular time and place. I got it. I got practically everything from my teachers. Mm-hmm. I was lucky because it was the American Stanislavski Theater, mm-hmm. and. They would, they would, they also had classes. So mm-hmm. that's where I studied. So the teachers that I studied with were actors, were incredible actors. Mm-hmm. And we had the opportunity to work as stagehands and then watch their performances night after night after night after night. And my most, the three teachers in particular, uh, were just, uh, they just blow me away with their performances, everything that they would talk about in class and show they were doing out there. And especially Irene, Irene Moore was, you know, my most influential teacher and basically all my technique, um, you know, I, it's, it's because of her. Yeah. Oh, wow. Amazing. Um, you also lived in Mexico too, right? I lived in Mexico. You know, uh, my wife was studying down there. She was studying uh, anthropology. Went down there, lived there, and and we left like I think for three weeks before the great big terremoto. Um, uh, they call it, you know, the earthquake. Yeah. Mexico, where was you at? El Distrito, you know, the district. That's right, smack in the middle. Oh, okay, okay. I, I know you, because I hear, I have a friend who, um, who, who, who's from Mazetran, I heard that's a really beautiful place to visit. For... Mazetran? Yeah, right? Yeah, I traveled to Mexico as well, and that was one of the places where I traveled to and stayed in, but it's also, you got to be careful at night. <laughs> it's not... You know, it's like New York City during the day. You know, yeah. It's nice, but then at night, you know, you got to watch out where you're, where you're walking, what you're doing. And it's yeah, it's rough. It's rough. It's, yeah, it's rough. Yeah, very rough. Oh man, yo, I mean, I mean, you know, talking to you, Paul, it's like you seem a very down to very mellow guy, you know. And um, there's like, you know, you're you have a a laundry list of roles you've played. Is there a role you have yet to play that you would like to play? Uh, you know what? I don't think so. No? Oh. Uh, no, I really don't. Uh, you know, if there's something out there, that because it, 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 it all depends on who I'm working with mm-hmm. Okay. and who's going to be directing. Mm-hmm. There's even theater. You can say, you know, I've been offered, you know, to do Othello and Hamlet. You know, Hamlet when I was younger and Othello. And but the people that were going to be involved, I just didn't want to 
Mm-hmm. I gotcha. So, you know, if somebody comes up to me with a role that, um, you know, the last two years, you know, we have a theater company here in New York, um, David Zayas and myself, who court just directors of this theater company called Primitive Grace. Mm-hmm. Is it, do you like, like, the, um, I was going to say, do you like being more in front of a live crowd than being, like, on on the set stage, you know, like, in a movie or something like that? Is it better being in front of a live crowd for you? It's better, you know, for an actor, it's always, for me, it's more challenging to be in front of a live crowd because, you know, if you screw up, you screw up. Yeah. There's no cut. <laughs> no, one, no one's going to take cut. You're not going <laughs> to say, you know, can I? Right? It's always a risk of. Yep, always a risk. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've, I, you know, I've had accidents on stage. You know, I once I almost I died because I swallowed um, one of the blood packets that I was carrying around, carrying around in my mouth because I was from a boxer. Oh. That gets killed on stage, and I had to, you know, I put in these three big bags of blood packets in my in my mouth, you know, uh, pretend that I'm being battered to death and I accidentally swallowed one of them and you know, oh. up on stage wheezing and asphyxiating and uh, oh, sure. I almost died, yeah. Oh, what what happened to that? It just, like... It... I, you know, nobody was doing anything because they didn't know what was happening. They just saw me, like, you know, stumbling around the stage <laughs> like a zombie wheezing, you know, because I, I was asphyxiating. Yeah. And I think a spasm or something kind of like jolted my body. Yeah. And I I collapsed on stage, and as I collapsed on stage, uh, the blood packet, uh, I cuffed it out with blood because it had uh, rubbed up against my esophagus. Oh, my God. Yeah, another time I had, uh, I was doing Shakespeare in the Park, and I had a tracheal infection. So every night it was a challenge to go out and perform, and one night I just... I was doing a speech up on a battlement. Yeah. I was playing, you know, this 
jump up on battlements to rally his troops. Mm-hmm. Remember, just collapsing. I <laughs> just passed out. I stopped for about two seconds. And I collapsed out on stage, and I came to, and you know, just continue on with the uh, with the show. Wow, <laughs> they, you know they say caffeine can kill you, but I guess so can acting. Oh my god! <laughs> yep, yep. Oh man, um, um, I'm winding down, Paul. Um, curiosity, what is your favorite dish? Oh man, rice and beans. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you know, if, if I don't have to eat anything for the rest of my life, okay, give me the rice, give me the beans. I'll have some protein. I'll have some carbs. Yeah. yeah, I know, right? Something about rice and beans, like you don't get it if you're not, you know, you're not Puerto Rican or Latino. Like something about rice and beans, man. I don't know what it is, man. You can it's even get it at a cuchi frito, yeah. Yeah, and you just got the aroma, especially if they're, you know, if the beans are well done, yeah, you know, with the onions and the peppers and all that. It's just the aroma, just the rice, just you know, you can throw in some plantains in there, some maduros. Yeah. I don't know. That's that's like the perfect food, man. Like you know, like even out here, there's a few like um, Puerto Rican restaurants, but like they're kind of far. But like when they have Spanish food, oh my god, it just takes me back home. I'm like, oh man, oh yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Um, 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 I know you said you know you, there's not a particular role you would want to play now, but you know, it seems like a lot of roles nowadays are like superhero roles. Would you like to get involved in like the MCU or DC? Is there an, is is there like if they offered you a role in a superhero movie, would you do it? You know what? I have to be honest. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> I did you. I I I would do it for the money, but I wouldn't do it because I I was. Like really excited about it. Yeah. I hope nobody's listening. That <laughs> hey, hey! You seen in Gwyneth Paltrow interview? She forgets who she works with and doesn't really know the character. So, hey, as long as you know a little something, then you know I'll I'll, I'll cut you some slack. You know, but hey, that's uh, that's honesty right there. If you're getting paid, if it's good money, hey, why not? You know? Yeah. Hey, listen. You know, uh, Michael Caine used to say, "Hey, listen. You know." Uh, the way I pick jobs is, is how much are they paying? Where is it shooting? Um, do I get to um, uh, keep my wardrobe and so forth and so on? He was always working. He just thought, hey, listen, a job is a job, and I'll make it interesting, and I'll get something out of it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. And um, my last question for you, Paul, is what would the Paul of today tell the Paul of yesterday? Oh, work harder. Work harder? You know, Work harder. Um, you know, as much as I cons- you know, consider myself to have been working harder, I would be more specific with him as to the things that he needed to work on. Mm-hmm. You know, to uh, work more on Shakespeare, to do more, you know, dance, um, to even explore singing, just to be much more well-rounded as an actor, as a young actor. Yeah. Also, another one, curiosity for me. Um, what's the key to a successful marriage? Oh, just knowing that whoever you're married is going to have a lot of um, faults. Mm-hmm. Just like you yourself mm-hmm. have a lot of faults. I'm, I'm, when I say you, I'm talking about myself because many times what we do is we project a certain image onto uh, the person that we want to live with, mm-hmm. and we want we want them to be a certain way. But 
have in in our mind, you know, like a like a sort of archetype. And we're human, you know. We're gonna screw up. We're gonna make mistakes. We're going to mm-hmm. uh, rub each other the wrong way. It's just you know, breathing through that and allowing yourself to go through the feelings and just you know, trying to be honest about how you're feeling and what you you know, what are you feeling uh, about certain things and. But the other, the other person has to be as, you know, as responsive as well. Can't be one-sided, uh, yeah. uh, one-sided conversation. So, no, so it's a kind of like a mutual understanding that we're both entering this arena with loaded six guns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that that's so true because it's like you know, it's like one hand washes the other, and that that your partner is like the, the person that's going to be there with you pretty much for life when you're married. You know, God, God willing. You know, so. Yeah, is like you know you have to accept the, you have to accept the faults. You gotta expect, you know, accept the good, and you know, and there's something that you meet like a common commonality in the middle. That's how I see it too. Yeah, you know, yeah, we see kind of like um, I go back to sports, like a baseball team, football team, basketball team. You know, your team members are gonna screw up. You yourself are gonna screw up, but are you gonna you know support each other, mm-hmm. or are you just gonna criticize each other and ostracize each other and just. Uh, ask the the owner of the team to get rid of you because you made a mistake or this or that. You know the better teams are the ones that you know stick together and work with each other and support each other through you know many times catastrophic defeats uh, and, and errors. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's so true. Paul, man, I could talk to you for hours, man. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, if um, if people want to look you up, where can they reach you? Do you have any website, social media? Yeah, you know, I'm on Instagram. I hardly, like, you know, I'm not too much of a social media guy. So, okay. Uh, my son, my oldest son, he's on Facebook and Instagram. So I, I'm on it just to, <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. to check up and be connected with him. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Also, there's, uh, Website paulcaldron.net. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's where I advertise my private classes that I hold in the city. And if you want to look up, you know, um, anything about me, uh, it's there. Yeah, so, all your information is there. And then um, the, the classes are seasonal or they're ready to run? Yeah, you know, so my wife and I share them. You know, she's an incredible teacher. Um, sometimes if I'm not working, if I decide to just hanging out in the city, you know, I teach them uh, there during the uh, the fall, mm-hmm. uh, the, the spring, and then the summer. So, you know, we hold them once a week, and they're very involved. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, you know, we're hard, hard on the students. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a good way, we don't, uh, we don't humiliate anyone. We don't make anyone feel bad. We just, hey, listen, just kind of like, again, like a tough coach who demands a little bit more than what you think you're mm-hmm. good at, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, you're giving them, you know, your hard earned experience, both of you, and you know, you know, and this is, you know, it's 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 a it's a cruel world out there, and you know, I, I, I guess you just you know, how they say you're keeping it real with them, like this is what's going to happen, this is what we expect, this is right, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you have to, you know, because if you don't, you're going to pamper the other students and. Uh, you know, just to keep them coming back, you pamper them. But we 
you know, I don't want to pamper them. You don't want to come back. So, you know, if you want to quit, quit. But I'm not going to pamper you. Not that I'm going to, again, we're not going to humiliate you or shame you. But we're going to demand if we see that there's something more there that can be pulled out of you, we're going to go for that. Mm. Is your class usually, is it usually a full class? Like how many students usually in the class? We usually have like, you know, 20 students. You know, it's a three and a half hour class. And, you know, we work on, you know, scenes and monologues. And, you know, we do other type of, um, types of um, exercises, mindfulness exercises and breathing exercises and movement exercises Mm -hmm. when there's time. Mm. And, you know, we try to make it fun at the same time, you know, because, you know, you can't approach approach acting serious. Yeah. It's a serious business, but if it's all serious all the time, you know, it it becomes a drag. (laughs) Yeah, and it becomes like a... Like a regular nine to five, who people who hate their job routine, like oh boy, I gotta go to this. Here yeah, we go. Exactly. Oh man, um, Paul, but thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate you being on the podcast, and I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Have a good one, folks. Thank you.